Welcome to College Unbound, the weekly podcast by Focus Collegiate, dedicated to diverse learning in the college environment. Thanks for being with us. This is Jane Taylor here with my colleague, Anne-Marie Stripling. Anne-Marie is the Focus Collegiate Enrollment and Outreach Director. Always a pleasure, Anne-Marie. How's it going, Jane? All right. Today, our subject is, you don't know what you don't know, a learning disability specialist's perspective. Our guest is author and speaker, Elizabeth C. Hamblett. It's so exciting to have her here. Elizabeth has worked as a learning disability specialist in college disability service offices for more than two decades. In addition to working at a university, she is a nationally requested speaker on preparing students with disabilities for successful college transition. She is the author of a book and a laminated guide on the subject, and her work has appeared in numerous journals and online. You can check her out on her website, ldadvisory.com, and connect with her on all the social platforms. Thank you so much for being with us as we wrap up season two of You Don't Know What You Don't Know. Such a pleasure, Elizabeth. Well, thank you so much for having me. I love to have this opportunity. We're delighted. You have a master's degree from Tufts in the art of teaching English. Mm -hmm. How does this translate into LD world dominance. What is your, <laughs> what is your uh, origin story? That's a great question. <laughs> it was the failure of that degree to get me a teaching job. How about that? So um, I finished graduate school in 1991 and uh, they were laying teachers off at the time that I graduated. And so I had one job briefly out of grad school and that school closed. It's a long story. And then I dabbled in some other things, um, but I got brought back to teaching and I decided I really wanted to be a teacher. And I went back to school and got a master's in special ed. My first job out of that graduate degree was a, um, I think actually it was the second job, um, was a part-time position. And I started, I supplemented my hours there by working at a local college and really fell in love with working in, in that kind of environment. This is a great segue to my next question. Why do you do what you do? Uh, this very simple answer is I love it. That's so... <laughs> Reductive, but I do love it. Yeah. yeah. Um, I have always enjoyed working with students. And what I like about the college level is, you know, they come to see me because they're interested in coming to see me. And so they don't always stay interested. I am not, you know, everybody's cup of tea, but at least I have students who I know have come because they want to see if there are strategies that can work for them. And I just, you know, it's just an age group I really like. They're so full. I mean, they're right on the edge of life. They're right on the doorstep. It's so exciting. Let us dig in. Thank you for telling us about yourself. IEPs and 504s essentially expire when a student graduates from high school. That's correct. Tell us about the differences between disability laws in high school versus college. 
Sure. So, um, and thank you for making that point. It's really, really important that folks understand. Um, I find more people sort of know and understand that IEPs don't quote unquote travel to or transfer um, to college because IDEA does not cover colleges at all. And so when your student graduates from high school, as soon as they've graduated, they are no longer covered by IDEA. 504 is a subject of a lot of understandable confusion because it prevails over both environments, but there's an entirely different subpart for post-secondary. And so while there's no specific wording in 504 subpart D, which is the K through 12 section that says specifically, and that means your, your plans don't transfer, they just don't. And so for before anybody panics, let me start by saying we offer accommodations at the college level at every college in the country, the only schools that are exempt are those that don't take any federal money, um, which includes student loan, federal student loans, federal student grants, GI Bill money, uh, research funds. So, I mean, basically like 99% of all schools and maybe even more do those things. And so they have to provide accommodations. And even if you found a school that didn't, it would also have to be a private religious school. And so many, many, many religious schools do offer accommodations. Don't worry about that either. But essentially everybody with, with that little asterisk provides at least some basic accommodations and some schools offer a wide range. Um, so there are accommodations that are available and they are available to all different kinds of disabilities, learning and attention disabilities, psychological disabilities. It doesn't have to be a physical obvious, visible disability to qualify. Well, you're telling us not to worry, which is mm -hmm. nice. Parents, mm -hmm. don't worry. What should parents worry about? What is the most important thing they should be concerned about? Um, the thing that they should, yeah, that's a trait that I'm going to tread carefully on that one. Uh, <laughs> the biggest thing they should worry about is how willing their student is to seek help. And frankly, that applies to students with and without disabilities at college. I think that's, you know, often what I'm talking to folks about does apply to the general population. So sometimes students will be struggling in a class and they won't go seek help. And, you know, a couple of the, the people I've interviewed for my next book have sort of said the accommodations are helpful, but they won't matter if you don't understand the content, if you don't know what's going on in class, if you didn't seek help when you didn't understand how to do the problem set. And so, you know, students' level of independence is not just about they have to go to class. Nobody, it's not an accommodation to have somebody wake them up, make sure they go to class. Some professors don't take attendance. And so it's very easy for students not to go but they pay the price if they're not keeping up and they don't know what's happening. And so I, again, I think that's true for all students. My biggest concern in talking to folks, when, especially around accommodations and what students receive in high school versus um, what they get at, at the college level is students' sense of confidence. You know, there's this concept of self-efficacy where the more you believe in your ability to do well, the more likely it is that you will do the things that make you successful and the opposite is true. And so I worry sometimes that when we don't give students more independence at the high school level and kind of step away 
remove some of the the adult human help that they get, that they don't develop the skills they'll need to do that help seeking, to recognize Mm -hmm. when they should go do something. How do you assess a student's sense of confidence? Wow, that's a really tough question. I don't have a good answer for that, but I think What's important is for everybody involved to kind of see how they function without a lot of adult direction and supervision. And so, um, you know, in all these interviews, people are saying students should by senior year of high school be getting themselves up, you know, and for those who take medications, managing, learning to manage their medications, making their appointments. And so, I think you start this process by showing students explicitly as parents, you know, here's how I do this. And then the next time, you know, and now you do it and you support them in doing that. You can be sitting by the phone when they call to make the appointment or renew this Mm -hmm. prescription, but they have practice. Now, whether they're still going to feel confident after doing it a few times, I can't promise But it also gives you a a data point to turn around and say, well, look, I know you're worried about this, but you've done it so many times. You can Mm. do it. You've shown it. So, you know, I think experience is sort of the best teacher. Anne-Marie? It goes back to the beginning of the season when we were talking with Leslie about the concept of I do, we do, you do. And the more you can do that, and for some students, they're going to need more of the we do (laughs) practicing Mm -hmm. and they're definitely going to need more of the I do practicing, but the more they can see you doing things. And also I think seeing you believing that they can do it and and propelling them to take some ownership. That's just amazing. Yes. I think that's such a good point. I think that, you know, we have to uh, convey our confidence in students and let them know that we see them being uh, competent. Um, I think that that's so important. And again, you have to have that experience of watching them do it to be able to give them that feedback. Right. Mm -hmm. And what do you both think about the concerns of students? What is the most important concern a student should have? Do you mean about the, about the transition process or the accommodations? Like Accommodations, I think. I think my biggest concern is that you should get them. Like if you're <laughs> eligible for them, right. you yes, should right. get them. Or right. you should try to get them. You should try right. to seek them out from the beginning because I think that it allows a student to front load their support. You know, that's just always better for everybody. And then you mm-hmm. fade out what you don't need. Mm-hmm. That's and so what, well put. What about the confidence piece? Well, I mean, look, I've been diving into the research right now, and there's a huge study, and there is a list of all the reasons why students um, don't uh, request accommodations. And for those who are new to this, you know, this again, this is not IDEA anymore. And so if your student wants accommodations, they have to contact the disability services office or the appointed person on campus. It's not always a designated office and fill out a form, um, provide documentation of their disability, whatever the school um, requires. And that varies a lot from college to college. You know, they have to initiate this process and follow through. And so I think, you know, to, to Anne-Marie's point, they need to do that in, upon starting. And that way it's like, it's there if you need it and it's not if you don't. But the research shows that sometimes they don't think they have a disability and so they don't register. 
You asked about the concern and it took my brain a little while to click into this, but um, some of the research shows that they just don't, they want to shed the disability part of their identity. Mm-hmm. And so what is really important to convey to them is that the only people that need to know that they have accommodations are the people that need to be involved in their accommodations. And so um, we don't send lists to the entire faculty and staff every year saying, here is the list of all the students that registered with us. We treat their information very carefully and privately. And so that shouldn't be a reason for them not to disclose and, and ask for their accommodations. Um, we don't have, like they might have experienced in high school, co-teachers who walk around classrooms and kind of, you know, prompt students who might be off task. We don't do that stuff. There's no special ed at college. There's just accommodations. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I think that their classmates by now are so accustomed to students going to take a, a test somewhere else. They don't really think about it anymore. So I, I, I can't solve the problem of students who do truly feel stigmatized. I don't know that there's anything you could ever say to them to make them feel better about it. But it's their civil rights. And the only way they're going to get this stuff is if they ask for it. And if they do, part of their right is privacy around that information. And so I, hopefully that's that will you know provide some encouragement to moving them toward registering. I think for our students, we try to circle it back around to vision. Hey, regardless of what your diagnosis is or your learning difference, what's your vision for yourself? Mm-hmm. If you have these accommodations, you're going to be more likely to get there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because you will have what you need to, mm-hmm. to get there because it's important to, to, to do that. You know, it seems like that kind of vision conversation is applicable to a student who doesn't think they have a disability. Mm-hmm. It's like, yes. okay, fine. You don't have a disability. That's fine. What is your vision for your future? How are we going to get there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just thinking about civil rights versus educational law. Mm-hmm. And this is, we're sort of skimming the surface here and we only have a short amount of time. What is the difference and why, why is this difference so important? What do students need to know about it? That's a lot of questions. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the, the difference is in the emphasis and, and the purposes. It, you know, when you go online, you can see the ADA and you can see um, IDEA and, and 504. And all of these laws start with statements of purpose. And so, you know, to me, the, the looking at IDEA, there's all sorts of goals for what K through 12 education is going to do. And there's that includes things like, and I'm not quoting, so you know, this is not legal advice, but it says something to the effect of, you know, make ensure that students can meet the academic something of, you know, of the of the district. And so colleges, you know, it, it's often summarized by colleagues in my field as a difference between an, a, an emphasis on success in K through 12 versus access at the college level. Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. remove barriers created by students' disabilities. And so the tension that arises at times, and not for all students, is that sometimes accommodations they've received at the K through 12 level are really focused on providing them with success rather than just leveling the playing field, as we say. So I run a a Facebook group and somebody just asked a question about, well, who decides, you know, the definition of a modification? Because at the college level, People will, if you go on disability services sites, some of them say right on their homepage, we do not do modifications. And 
this tracks back into the wording of the law. So students who have been allowed to, for instance, retake tests for a better grade. Um, and pedagogically, I can see some argument for students, you know, going back and refreshing and learning things that they didn't learn initially. But that is not an accommodation that's commonly granted at the college level. Um, writing a shorter paper is not an accommodation that's common at the college level. Having a multiple choice test where there are fewer choices uh, to choose from uh, is not an, uh, is a modification. And so um, that's kind of where the differences start to show up. Mm-hmm. What do you think, Elizabeth, is the most important question you want to be asked? Uh, I guess, you know, what can students do to be successful? Um, and oh, do I now answer my own question? <laughs> <laughs> totally. <laughs> Completely. Uh, and that is go to class, do the readings, seek help when you need it. Remember that colleges do provide tutoring centers and math help rooms and writing centers exactly because we expect students to need them. And you don't get extra points for not seeking help. And, uh, you know, this is, as, as Anne-Marie so beautifully put it, what's your vision for yourself? I don't think any of us go to college thinking, oh, college will be hard and I will need help. Um, but that is so often the case. And so, you know, don't worry about what your friends are doing. Um, there, there are other people taking appointments at all these help places. And so somebody's using the help. Um, you know, I often joke that if I had a dollar for every student who said to me that they thought they were the only student struggling, I would not need to go to work. But <laughs> you're not alone. People are there. It's hard. It's supposed to be hard. And there's a phrase that you'll hear sometimes at the college level of this is not grade 13. It's not meant to be an extension of high school. It's, mm-hmm. It is a ramp up in the demands. There is so much less structure, right? Usually in high school, you do homework every night. That he- helps keep you on track. So it's hard to get behind. Um, and your grade may get bolstered by participation grades and daily homework grades and weekly quiz grades. And at college, sometimes it's two exams or two papers and that's it. And mm-hmm. so it's very, very easy to get off track, to not keep up. It's much harder to hold yourself to that. So, you know, find a study buddy, meet a friend at the library, and you guys sit in different carols or opposite ends of its study table. And you don't talk to each other, but you go to make sure that the other person, that you'll show up because you won't disappoint your friend. Mm-hmm. I'm sure our listeners have a great idea about this from our conversation, but why do you think you're so good at what you do? Oh, <laughs> uh, thank you. I mean, look, I, I try really hard to learn about things. I try to keep up with stuff. I try to see how my students Um, use or don't use the suggestions that I give them. I think that I'm always trying to learn because that's, you know, there's, there's always something new out there that I don't know about. So um, maybe it's the enthusiasm. And it's also, I, I think what I try to convey to students is, look, here are my best suggestions for what you should do. They're not going to work for everybody and that's fine, but here's a starting point of things you could try. And if it doesn't work for you, try to think about why not and what you could do that's different that might take this little nugget and make it a useful tool for you. 
but I never let anybody know that I think I know exactly how to do anything because I don't. Mm. Your book from high school to college steps to success for students with disabilities is pretty much the Bible on this subject. Tell us about your new book. Oh, well, I'm very excited. I am deep, as I said, in the research right now and the interviews. And so this will be the third edition of this book. And I really enjoy every few years interviewing people again and looking at the updated research, because again, there's always something to learn. And I learned so much from talking to colleagues about, you know, things that they are doing that I'm not aware of, you know, in my, my one job at this one school and, you know, talking to uh, other professionals about what they do in these places, you know, what's up with assistive technology, what accommodations people are commonly granting or not. Again, what do they see when students are successful? When they see students who are not successful, what are these students not doing that, that would help? So it will be updated information. You know, the documentation piece has changed somewhat, the the landscape there since my last book. Schools are being, um, there's there's really quite, I think, much more of a range of things that people will accept. One of the things I wanted to circle back to was when I said IEPs and 504s are not valid at the college level, I want to be very specific and say that what that means is colleges don't have to follow those plans. We do not have to do anything that's written into those plans. But where that causes confusion is that sometimes people say, well, but my students submitted their their IEP and they got accommodations. What it may mean is that the school took that as a form of documentation. And so some schools will take those plans all by themselves with no other testing required for learning disabilities or ADHD, but other schools may not. And so parents really have to you know, sit down with their students, go through the list of colleges they've applied to, and make sure that they check the documentation requirements for each college that the student's looking at so that they know what's coming. Um, And they should always ask uh, whether schools are more flexible than they might appear to be just looking at their documents online. Mm -hmm. You've been doing a bunch of new research for your the new edition of your book. Are there any surprising findings? I mean, and the research is really talking to folks. So I think what's surprising is like I was just I asked a bunch of people what would surprise families about this process? And some of some folks said that they feel it's much easier for students to get accommodations at college. It's not as much as a fight of a fight as as some families have experienced. Obviously, you know, your mileage may vary, um, but that's what some of my colleagues are saying. Or, you know, how independent students need to be, I think, you know, I know this, but it might be a surprise to families that, you know, disability services offices don't help students generally set up their tutoring. We don't, you know, we might make a phone call or send an email, but, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot for students that they have to be ready to do. Um, what else has surprised me? Um, well, there's some interesting research showing that sometimes the accommodations don't do what people think they do. I've just read another study that found that a number of students granted extended time actually truly in, in, in taking tests and use them. You just mentioned that some of your colleagues think that it's much easier to get accommodations than it used to be. Is that also your own experience? 
I, I think it's a very individual thing. I think my comment, my colleagues are com- responding to comments families have made to them. Mm-hmm. I, because of the the way my position works, I am not forward facing with with parents at the college level, and so um, that may be true where I work, but I'm I'm not getting that feedback mm-hmm. myself where I for what I do. Anne Marie, is it your experience? It's shifting. I mean, I would say that some of the shifts are happening in testing accommodations, you know, more, more so that I see, you know, it's just released the like digital SAT and an SAT seems to be doing some things differently than they used to and, and ACT as well, you know? So I think I see it more in the testing accommodations just from my perspective than I would at the college level for college accommodations that students are getting. Although, you know, every college is different too, mm-hmm. you know, and going back a couple podcasts ago to when we talked to Dolly Singley from Ursinus, you know, she was saying that she really values looking at the student IEP and interviewing the student. The psychoeducational evaluation is maybe less relevant to her. And mm-hmm. so I think that you really have to look at that particular school and look at those documentation requirements, talk to the people in the disability support office to know Hey, what are your common, what are the common accommodations that are granted at this college? You know, questions like that are really important, I think, for parents to ask. Um, And I think it's a way for them to ascertain, you know, what, what can they expect most likely? I think that's a great point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. My takeaway from this side of the screen is that parents and students do your research Mm-hmm. And also ask questions just because it says something on the website doesn't necessarily mean that's what your student or yourself will find. That's exactly right. And actually, you know, all of my colleagues encourage families while students are adding schools to their list to call our offices. And, you know, this mm-hmm. is where I get really sad because I've had families say to me, well, but when I call, you know, Hamlet University's uh, Disability Services Office, isn't Anne Marie going to write down my kid's name and our phone number and send that up to admissions? And there's so much fear and worry about that part of the, you know, process. And in all of, I've interviewed admissions directors who've all said we do not talk to disability services. They do not talk to us about students' candidacy. It's all a very separate process. So. Please, you know, my colleagues are, are beseeching you uh, to, to call them and ask them questions because they want it to be a good fit. It's really important. Um, and the admissions directors are also encouraging you to talk to admissions. Uh, sorry, well, to talk to admissions, sure, but to talk to disability services and find out, you know, and get the best sense that you can. I will add this one thing that a lot of my disability services director interviewees said, which was that. Families, I think it probably matters more to to parents than to students, but families need to not push a student toward a school because of the supportive uh, disability services office if it's not also a good fit for them in general, Mm -hmm. that Mm -hmm. you should not be picking a school just because you heard it has a great office if they don't have the major your kid wants, if it's too big or too small, if they just don't like the vibe there, it doesn't matter how good the office is. Yeah. And that, we see that we see that because it's a it, we see that with a lot of our students because they are looking at the school for the major and the social fit and the mm-hmm. clubs and all those things. 
and they may or may not have the support they need through the school, which is why they seek us out anyway. But mm-hmm. it's so important to look at that school mm-hmm. as a well-rounded option for exactly. that student. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry to have to wrap this up. It feels like we're just getting into it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> when can we expect the new edition, Elizabeth? Oh, I wish I could give you a, a real a hard date. Um, I'm guessing end of spring, early summer. Um, folks can, you know, follow me on social media or look at my website for announcements. I'm sure I will be, you know, shouting from the rooftops as soon as I know what that date is. We'll be listening for your voice from the mm-hmm. rooftops. Thanks again. What a pleasure to have you here with us. Really a delight. Thank you so much for having me. It was a fun conversation.